are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now I want to speak to you tonight from verse number 4, verse number 9 rather, in Hebrews chapter number 2, four words in verse 9, but we see Jesus. Now before I bring the text to you, I'd like uh, to point out uh, one or two things here by way of introduction, that you might ought to take your pen, your marker, and uh, write it down in the margin of your Bible. You might be able to, uh, to use it in your preaching. And I hope you can you can do that. I see five dangers that we're warned of in the Hebrew epistle that you might ought to note. Uh, number one, the danger of drifting in verse number one of chapter number two. And that's always an, uh, a danger that we need to face up to and uh, recognize the potential of it. Uh, the danger of drifting in verse one of chapter two. And then I see second, the danger of doubting. Uh, in uh, chapter number two, number three, rather, and verse seven, and uh, following, the danger of doubting uh, that which God has done, that which God has said. And then number three, I see the danger of dullness. Uh, chapter five, verse eleven: uh, Ye are dull of hearing, hearts that are dull. The danger of dullness. And then I think we have two other dangers in this book that you might want to mark. In the margin of your Bible, number four, I see the danger of despising that which God has done. Chapter number 10 and verse number 26 and 27 and 28. Verse 28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And then number five, uh, in the uh, Hebrew, I see the danger of defilement. And that's in chapter number 12 and verse number 15 and following. And uh, by the way, verses 14 and 15... And 16 and 17 are a unit. Uh, follow peace and follow holiness and look diligently. Three things that we're exhorted to do. Lest uh, uh, any man uh, fail of the grace of God. Number two, lest any root of bitterness spring up within you, trouble you, and defile many. And number three, lest any be a fornicator among you. Now mark those five dangers in the uh, Hebrew epistle. And you have an opportunity to preach some. Why, help yourself. I've done the same thing. And it, it might be worthwhile to you. Then, uh, while you're marking your Bible, in chapter number 3, uh, 4 rather, uh, note 7, therefores. You know, when you find certain words in your Bible as you study, you ought to mark those words. You know, uh, if, you, if you read my Bible, you'd think I was a, an apostate or a liberal. I'll write in it and change it so much, you know, and I write in the margin and, and I write in the, between the verses and... And uh, you looked at my Bible, you might, might, might think badly of me, but I'm a fundamentalist. But I do mark my Bible, you see. Don't abuse your Bible, but mark it. Uh, in chapter number 4, you have uh, in verse 1, therefore let us fear. And then in verse number, number 6, you have, therefore seeing it remaineth that some must enter therein. Then in verse number uh, 9, there remaineth therefore rest for the people of God. Another, therefore, in verse 11, therefore let us labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Then in verse number 14, uh, seeing then, uh, seeing therefore, that we have a high priest that is passed into heaven, let us hold fast our profession of faith. Now the charismatic say, turn your faith faith loose, but the Bible says, hold fast to your faith. 
And you better do what the Bible has to say, will you? And then number 6 in verse 16, uh, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of God's grace. And then in chapter number 6, verse 1, Therefore, leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Seven therefores in uh, Hebrews chapter number 5 and 6. Now that'll preach. I've, I've used that also in my preaching down through the years. And I'd recommend you do the same thing. Now, Hebrews chapter number 2 is one of the great uh, chapters of all the New Testament. Now, if you didn't get, if I talked too fast, you didn't get that down. If you'll see me at the close of the hour, I'll, I'll rehearse it for you uh, so you can get it. And it might do you good to think a little bit and think it out yourself. But they're there. Uh, Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, uh, we ought to give a more earnest heed unto the things which we've heard less at any time, we let them slip the danger of drifting that I mentioned a moment ago. For if the word spoken by the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we escape? Now, beyond any doubt, the we, in verse number 3, does not refer to the world of lost people, but rather refers to God's people. How can we escape? We believers escape. If we neglect so great salvation. Now that's a great text of scripture that I think sometimes we ought to bring to God's people. Uh, most of the time you hear that verse preached, the application is made uh, to the unsaved. But actually, uh, the interpretation demands that verse be applied to either the saved in God's grace. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Uh, that at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed in us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders, and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Now, that first three or uh, four verses are a question, a unit, a question beginning in verse number one, and the, the question point at the end of verse number four. Now, in verse five, for unto the angels uh, hath He not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testified, saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him. Now, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the him of verse 7 is our Lord Jesus. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels in his incarnation. Now, Jesus is God, very God, no doubt about that. But he's incarnated as a man. I, I, I'm, I'm amazed to discover that in the Gospel of Matthew... Eighty-seven times the Holy Spirit calls our Lord Son of Man. And when I was a young preacher, I stumbled at that for a moment and wondered why the Holy Spirit eighty-seven times would call our Lord Son of Man. Well, He is the Son of Man in His condescension. He's the Son of God, as Brother Sexton so, uh, so adequately preached in the morning hour. And all of us believe that. If you say it, you believe that. But in His condescension, He's the Son of Man. Thou mayest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection unto his feet. In the economy of God, that's so. In actuality, it is not so yet. Thou hast put all things uh, in subjection unto his feet. For in that he hath put all things in subjection unto him, he left nothing that was not put unto him. But, the last sentence we see not yet all things put under him. In God's economy, 
all things are put in subjection and under the Son of God, but in actuality, uh, all things yet have not been put under the Lord Jesus, but in the millennium they shall be. He shall be King of kings and Lord of lords for a thousand wonderful years right here upon the earth, and then throughout the ceaseless age, uh, ages of eternity, all things sh shall be and are uh, put unto him. But in the meantime, in the church dispensation, when all things are not in subjection, now don't get the idea that all things are, because the last clause in verse 18 uh, tells me that all things are not yet put in subjection unto him. And in the church dispensation, that's very true. You and I that are saved are, uh, are a minority. We have always been a minority. Uh, the church has never been a majority in any community. We are a, mo a minority group. And shall always be a minority group. All things are not put into him. The devil uh, has sway in most things in our day. And in most areas in our day, the devil uh, sits upon the th uh, seat of authority. And he's the prince of the power of this age of darkness in which we now tabernacle. Uh, all things are not yet put unto him. But in the meantime, while we sojourn in the age of the church, but we believers see Jesus. But we see Jesus. And that's the most important thing uh, that you, you ever see in all your sojourn in this life. To keep your eyes fastened upon the Lord. And one good way to do that is to stay in the Bible. Another good way to do that is to hear the gospel preached uh, faithfully from the pulpit. Another good way to do that is to read good Christian literature that uh, is true to the Bible. And on down the line, another good way to do that is stay upon your knees and believe in prayer and walk with the Lord. Uh, everything is to our disadvantage. The world doesn't give you any encouragement. The world's not going to help you live a Christian life. The world's going to hinder you from living a Christian life. The world will pull you back and pull you astray. But in spite of all the opposition of the devil, we, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. And that's what I want you to see tonight. Now about him, we're told in verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels. How? For the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor, that he might, by the grace of God, note that, and I marvel at that, that he might, by the grace of God, that sounds a little strange, that our Lord would be spoken of as doing anything by the grace of God. Now, I can understand why the Scriptures would exhort me uh, to do everything I do by the grace of God. First uh, Corinthians uh, 10 and uh, 50, 50, uh, 15 tells me, I am not what I am by the grace of God. But in this verse, uh, he that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man in all the world. Christ died for a world of sinners. Now not a world of sinners shall accept that. And not a world of sinners are going to be benefited by that fact. But the fact remains nonetheless that he died for whosoever will. And I don't take the idea, or accept the idea of living atonement. And by the way, don't, don't call me a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I, I sometimes uh, get classified by the naive as a Calvinist because I'm not a hyper-evangelist. Uh, well, I've never been an evangelist. I'm a pastor. And uh, some of the pastors are hyper-evangelistic hyper in their work. And I never have been that way, and so they say, well, he's a Calvinist. Well, don't call me a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm a Baptist. Whether you're aware of the fact that or not, John Calvin hated my fathers and persecuted my fathers. And I'd rather not be identified by his name. 
not Presbyterians are Calvinists. But Baptists are not Calvinists, never have been Calvinists. We are Baptists. And I'm not a five-point Baptist, I'm a three-point Baptist. And so when you classify me, if you don't mind, just call me by the name of my father's Baptist. Amen. Amen. And I'd recommend you classify yourself the same way. That he, by the grace of God, shall taste death for every man. Now, one of the points of Calvinism is limited atonement. That he died only for the elect. Only for those foreknown in God's mind. Now, I believe in the foreknowledge of God, certainly. And I believe in the election of God, surely. But I also believe that he died for whosoever will. And any man and every man could be saved. And it seems that verse number 9 clearly sets that forth. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. That sounds like a paradox also. To speak of our Lord, who is the captain of our salvation, as being made perfect. Why, he is perfect. And yet that verse speaks of the captain of our salvation being made perfect by his suffering. Well, that's literally so. As mediator, uh, he is a mediator now. And the last verse uh, of the chapter will bear out the fact that indeed he is perfect as mediator through his suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Not all one. But all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto the brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? And then again, I will uh, put my trust uh, in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then, now this is a therefore, this is a conclusion. For as much then as the children, that's us are partakers of flesh and blood. And nobody could deny that. He, Jesus, also himself, took part likewise of the same flesh and blood. And he did. He's the son of Mary the Virgin. He had bone and flesh as I have bone and flesh and blood. He likewise took part of the same. That through death, he might destroy the power of death, that is the devil. Might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil. I'd like to say to you that the devil is a has-been and a defeated enemy. The world's greatest liar and the world's chief deceiver is the devil. You can't say anything good about the rascal. And I think we ought to call the devil the devil. I, I, I recommend you Baptist preachers stop calling the devil demons. The word demon is not in your King James Bible. So just don't say demon. Let the charismatics use that. Well, they talk about the demons this and demon that. They even name them. I don't know where they get the authority to do that. I haven't found that in the Bible. But they talk about demons of this and demons of the other. The word demon is not in your Bible. And so just don't use it. The English King James Bible calls them devils. And I think we ought to use what the Bible has to say. Amen? So just stop saying demons and stop saying sheer. I don't want to hear another Baptist preacher say sheer around here. You let the uh, PTL say that. You let Club 700 say that. 
They share this and share the other and share that. And so one day I said, oh boy, you can have her. I'm through with it. I won't say that word anymore. I don't want anybody to think I'm part of that group. Not by any means. Now, in verse 15, And deliver them who, through the fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels when he condescended. He could have well come down into the world as Gabriel, but he didn't. He did not take upon himself the nature of angels when he condescended, but instead he deliberately and in the economy of God and the plan of God took upon himself the seed of Abraham. And that's no accident. That's God's plan and God's purpose. Wherefore, here's another therefore, another conclusion. In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that's me and you, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted by the devil, and he was. He is able, because of his own experience, and because of his own condescension, and because he took upon himself not the nature of angels, but rather the nature of the seed of Abraham. He is therefore able to suffer them that are tempted by the devil, and that's me and you. He's able to give us grace, is what the word succor means. He's able to give us strength. He's able to fortify. He's able to keep us. He's able to encourage us in the hour of our temptation. Now back in verse number 9, but we see Jesus. Now underscore those four words in your Bible, will you? And I'd like to use them as a text of Scripture for the next one or two. I'd like to point out a sevenfold panoramic picture of our Lord in his redemption. Number one, I want you to see Jesus tonight a condescending, coming down from heaven, being born, being born for our identification with him. Born for our identification. And then I want you to see Jesus who died for our perpetuation. And then I want you to see Jesus who was buried for our sanctification. That I want you to see the Lord who was resurrected for our justification. And then I want you to see the Lord as he ascended back to heaven for our preservation. And then I want you to see the Lord coming again for our glorification. And then number seven, I want you to see the Lord reigning for a thousand years for our association with him. Now look at these for a moment. Write them down in your Bible and preach them when you go home. Number one. But we see Jesus... Born for our identification with Him. Now that's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in all the Bible. The doctrine of kinsman redeemer. The fact that He was not ashamed to call us brethren. The fact that God, and I believe Jesus, is God and very God. Complete God. The fact that He'll lead us out of all of that from the foundation of the world and permitted Himself deliberately in God's plan to be born of a virgin and take upon himself a body like I have and be numbered with Adam's fallen race and be identified thus with Adam's fallen race. That's what we mean by condescension. See Jesus who was born for our identification with him. Now actually the only way that our Lord could die 
was by his condescension. You're not going to kill Jesus in his eternal state. You're not going to nail Jesus upon the cross in heaven. You're not going to nail Jesus on the cross when the angels are standing by to minister. The only way Jesus could ever go to the cross was to leave heaven and leave the angels and come down into an unfriendly world and become identified with Adam's fallen race by taking upon himself the form of a body like you and I have. And because he did that, he said, for my, my elder brother, my kinsman, redeemer, touch of the feet of the mind, feminine is tempted at every point, like his eye, though he's God, he sweat as I sweat. Though he's God, he hungers as I hunger. Though he's God, he suffered as I suffer. Though he's God, he was disappointed as I've been disappointed. Though he's God, he labored as I labor. Though he's God, he witnessed to the greatness of Jehovah God as I try to witness to the greatness of Jehovah God. Though he's God, he faced the devil head on. And though he's God, he used the same resources that I use, the Word of God. Why, the devil, Jesus could have spoken the Word, and the devil never would have landed again upon this earth. But instead of fighting the devil in that fashion, he fought the devil like I have to fight the devil. And because he was tempted at every point like his we, and yet without sin, he is therefore able to succor me and you when we're tried and tested and tempted in the way. But we see Jesus, who was born for our identification with him. And he is our brother. He is my Boaz. And I'm God's eternal root. A Gentile who belonged to another, but with whom God fell in love by grace. And Boaz set out to redeem uh, to himself a bride that another man had had. And that's exactly the economy of God in my redemption. Jesus wooed me and called me, though I was a sinner and a trespasser, though I was undeserving, though I was a nobody. Yet he found me and loved me and won me and wedded me and betrothed me and assured me that I'm still his believing child. So always me, you see. But we see Jesus born for our identification with him. Oh, what condescension that is. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart thought of the gospel. The very basis of all uh, salvation in his, in his foundation is what I'm preaching to you right now. We need to see Jesus born for our identification with him. But second, I want you to see the Lord who died for our perpetuation. Now that word perpetuation is a big word. You say, what in the world does that mean? We'll find it, by the way, in Romans 3 and verse number 27. The word perpetuate means uh, to provide a place where I could stand and plead before the Lord. Uh, when the high priest killed the lamb at the raised altar in the Old Testament ritual, he took the blood in the basin and dipped his finger and went behind that veil. And nobody went behind the veil in the holy place of the tabernacle except the high priest. And he only one time a year and that not without blood. And when he went behind the veil in the holiest of holies where the mercy seat was, he dipped his finger in that blood and sprinkled the ground in front of that altar seven times of the blood. Then he dipped his finger another time and sprinkled the mercy seat itself with the blood of the sacrifice made at the brazen altar on the outside. And then with, uh, with feet unshod, the high priest wore no sandals. 
There was no floor in the tabernacle. And that ought to be a lesson all of us ought to learn, uh, that the best of us yet are in contact with the earth. And that high priest ministered with his feet on the ground. But he sprinkled that ground in front of the mercy seat. And having sprinkled the ground, he thus stands over on that spot of ground, sprinkled with the ground. And that spot of ground became ground of perpetuation where the priest could plead for the sins of his people before God's mercy seat. And what that spot of ground was for the high priest, my Lord, is that for me? That's why Paul said, I live and move and have my being in him. He's my all and in all. And I did not approach God upon the basis of my worth, or my works, or my merit. But I have fullness to approach God in the work of Christ upon the cross. Because he died to provide for me ground of perpetuation. See, Jesus, he perpetuates. And he alone can perpetuate. No amount of good works can do that. No amount of sacrifice on your part can perpetuate. No other religion can perpetuate fire. But Jesus is the adequate and the only perpetuation for you and I that trust in Him today. See, Jesus, who died for our perpetuation, we have a lamb, one lamb, never another, one lamb who died one time and sufficiently satisfied all God's holy demands. But I want you to see Jesus, number three, uh, resurrected, uh, buried rather, Buried, rather, for our sanctification. I've always wondered about the definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul said, I declare in you the gospel how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and was buried, and on the third day rose again according to the Scriptures. Now, I can understand the death according to the Scriptures, and I can understand the resurrection according to the Scriptures, but I always wondered why the Holy Spirit said, Paul, right in that definition of the gospel, and was buried. Now that's very important. In the economy of the gospel, Jesus was buried. And if you took that little sinner clause out of the definition of the gospel, you'd have nothing left but an empty shell. You'd have no gospel at all. He was buried for my sanctification. Watch this, will you? When Jesus died upon the cross... He had upon himself every dirty sin that I've ever been guilty of in all my life, past, present, and future. He not only had upon himself my dirty guilt, but yours as well. And he paid my sin debt completely and sufficiently. And when the Lord Jesus, Joseph and Nicodemus, from the cross, they are lowering my sin offering. My sin, if you please, they lowered from the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, became my sin. And they took that sin offering down from the cross, wrapped it in grave clothes, and carried that to a borrowed sepulcher, and carried that body back into that sepulcher, and laid that body out, then rolled a great stone at the mouth of it, and put a Roman seal upon it. And also a guard to see that nobody steal that body away. Now I'd like to remind you that when they buried my Savior, they moved my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. My sin is gone. My sin is buried in a Sadducee's grave from which there is no resurrection. 
My sin is cold. He bore my sins away. And they're buried, taken out of sight, out of God's sight, in that grave with the stone rolled at the mouth of And I'm sanctified tonight. I'm sanctified not by a second work of grace, but I'm sanctified by grace. I'm sanctified not because I prayed through, but I'm sanctified because He died and paid my sin debt. I was buried. And my sins are gone, brother. Now, if the devil ever brought my sins before me, he'd have to go back to the cow, uh, to the uh, sepulchre, and there resurrect my sin because they were buried and taken out of my way when Jesus died upon the cross. He was buried for my sanctification, and I'm clean tonight. And I say that in the right sense. I don't say that proudly, but I say that in faith. I'm clean. Or oh, the devil tells me I'm not. But the Scripture assures me that I am. And Calvary assures me that I am. He was buried for my sanctification. Then I want you to see Jesus resurrected for my justification. Has it occurred to you that the most important doctrine in the Bible is the resurrection? Now I say that deliberately. There are many important doctrines in the Bible. The doctrine of faith. The doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Our redemption. Uh, the doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine of the virgin birth, the doctrine of heaven, the doctrine, all of them important. But I say founded upon the doctrine of the resurrection is every single doctrine in the Bible. If there is no resurrection, said Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, then our faith is vain. If there is no resurrection, Paul said, we are yet in our sins. If there is no resurrection, it would have been better had we not been born. If there's no resurrection, the devil has the victory. If there's no resurrection, God's eternal Son is in a dark grave somewhere in the state of Israel. If there is no resurrection, we are all men most miserable. If, we, if there's no resurrection, we have no song to sing, no sermon to preach, and no testimony to give, and no faith to live, and no hope beyond the grave. Everything I have in faith is founded upon the resurrection of our Lord. And I'd like to report to you on the third day, and I believe that third day to be the 72nd hour, not the 73rd, nor the 71st, but on the 72nd hour, on God's time peace, Jesus on the inside of that grave, uh, uh, sat up, laid the grave clothes aside, and God moved the stone out of the way, and he walked out of that grave. Now, preacher, I just don't see that. I can't understand that. My soul, that's a basic doctrine of the Bible. He walked out of the grave. Jesus, the first fruits of them which slept, way after him at his coming. By their resurrection, myself is founded upon the resurrection of our Lord. And because he came out, I have blessed assurance of some golden daybreak. My ear and my soul shall hear the trumpet of God that I'm going to set up. I'm going to set up. I'm going to lay aside the grave clothes, and I shall walk out of the grave someday. I too shall be resurrected some golden day. And I have the assurance of that because my Lord was resurrected for my justification. Now I'm totally saved. Had he died upon the cross and not come out of the grave, my salvation would not have been complete. 
Had he been buried in a borrowed tomb and not come out of the grave, my salvation would have been incomplete. Had he been born of a virgin for identification with him, my salvation would have not been complete. But since he was born for my identification and died for my perpetuation and was buried for my sanctification, he then sealed it with his great resurrection for my justification. And now I have full salvation. Full gospel. Somebody said, you Baptists don't preach the full gospel. My soul, you're naive. Our gospel is pregnant. Our gospel is full. Our gospel is complete. Christ rose. And he came out of the grave. And we preach a full gospel. And the very notion that we don't is foolish and absurd. And then number four, I want you to see Jesus ascended to heaven for our preservation. Forty days he walked in this earth after his resurrection. And by the way, one of the most interesting studies I've ever made is in uh, Matthew 27 and verse 51. Whether you're aware of the fact or not, when our Lord died on the cross, there was an earthquake. And the graves of many saints were opened up in Jerusalem, according to Matthew. And those graves remained open for three days and three nights while our Lord's body was in the borrowed sepulchre. But when our Lord walked out of that grave, those Old Testament saints got up and walked the streets of Jerusalem. That's what the King James Bible says. And I believe that. And I would be all surprised if all the Old Testament saints didn't come out of the grave in Matthew 27, 51. I wouldn't be at all surprised if David's not in heaven right now with a glorified body. Wouldn't be at all surprised. You say, well, preacher, it doesn't say David came out. It says many saints came out. He could have been in that number. I believe he was a saint of God. Well, I don't think all of them came out. Well, I couldn't prove all of them did, but I can prove many. Many came out. If there's a partial rapture here, there may be a partial rapture at the sound of the trumpet. And you don't believe in a partial rapture at the trumpet sound. Brother, when Jesus sounds the trumpet, there'll be no partial rapture. We all come out of the grave. I wouldn't be at all surprised if all the Old Testament saints didn't get up in Matthew 27, 51. Wouldn't be at all surprised. And they walked with Jesus 40 days. And they didn't have anywhere else to go, so when Jesus went home, he carried them to paradise with him. We know Jesus went to paradise, don't we? We sure did. And you know, Moses, and that is Enoch and Elijah went to heaven without dying. They're in paradise. Right? All the Old Testament saints are in paradise. There's one place for the dead in the Lord now. That's paradise. That's where my mama is. That's where your loved ones are. Paradise. Elijah's there. And Enoch is there. And I would be thought surprised if Abraham and Sarah are not there. Amen. And David's there. And Jonathan is there. Yeah. Sure. Amen. We're glorified bodies. That means that in paradise right now, there's somebody with glorified bodies. I know Elijah's there with a glorified body. And so is Enoch. And you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared with glorified bodies. 
Probably tall spies, not a lot of saints in paradise. Now, my mama's there in soul and spirit. My daddy's there in soul and spirit. My child is there in soul and spirit. Their bodies are in the cemetery. But when those Old Testament saints got up in Matthew 27, they couldn't go back to the grave, that's for sure. Well, that wasn't a revival, that was a resurrection. That wasn't a revival, that was a resurrection. They couldn't go back to the grave. The only place they could go is to go to heaven with the Lord when he went to heaven 40 days later. Give it some thought. I don't believe that preacher. Well, think about it. I don't know. I wouldn't be dogmatic, but it's food for thought. Whether all the Old Testament saints came out or not, one day we will come out of the grave, no doubt about that. Now he arose and went to heaven for my preservation. I want you to watch that. When he went to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on high to do one thing. Just one thing. And the Holy Son does only one thing. I wish all of us could learn that everything God does in this earth today is done through the office of the Holy Spirit. I mean, everything. Every preacher that's called, every church that's instituted, every dollar that's given, every missionary that's sent out, every soul that gets saved, every song that's sung in the Spirit, every song that's written to the glory of God, every sermon worth preaching, all the good uh, social work we try to do to help people, everything that's done to God's glory today is channeled through the office of God's chief executive, who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Son does nothing. His work's finished, as far as this earth is concerned. Now, he's at the right hand of the throne of God on high, doing one thing, ever living to make intercession for me and you that are saved in God's grace. He's my advocate with the Father. And he doesn't charge $40 an hour either. His services are without charge. He pleads my case. He confesses my name. He recognizes me before angels and deity. The old devil comes to God and says, That preacher is not real. That preacher doesn't love you. And Jesus said, You devil, I know that boy. And then Jesus turns to the Father and says, Father, he's one of ours. <laughs> and he's a faithful advocate. My brethren, I write these things unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Don't you forget that. And if you commit a sin, don't run away from God. Run to God. If you commit a sin, don't hesitate to spell it out. Tell Jesus. You say, Lord God, my frame is so bent and my soul, my, my, my body is so bent until I've done wrong and I confess it. And he said, if you'll do that, he'll forgive you. We have an advocate with the Father. And that advocate at the right hand of the throne of God assures me that I'm going to heaven. Preach, you might not, you better not boast, you might not. The devil might get you and carry you to hell, in spite of all that 40 years of preaching. Not a chance. Not a chance. No, not a chance. He arose and then he ascended to heaven for my preservation. But I want you to see Jesus, number six, coming again for my glorification. You know, I'm just two-thirds saved. Some people don't think I'm saved at all. And the devil doesn't think I'm saved either. But I'm only two-thirds saved, I'll admit that. My soul is saved, 
My spirit is saved, my body is not. I'm going to die. I don't like to think about it, don't like to anticipate it. But as sure as you're born, I'm headed to Woodlow Memorial Park. My next move will be to the cemetery. And that's not a pleasant prospect. But don't feel too bad because you're breathing on my neck. And you're following me to the grave. We're all going to die. This old body of ours is going to corruption, going to see corruption. Right now, I've got a measure of help. I'm a 64-year-old man that doesn't take an aspirin. I take nothing. Never have an ache of pain ordinarily. And I'm thankful for my help. Amen. But I've got sense enough to one of these days, it's going to break down. Something will malfunction. And I'll die. I had a physical the other day, and the young doctor uh, working for the uh, clinic where I have my physicals uh, had ne- never seen me before. He's just a young fellow, hadn't been practicing too long. And uh, uh, he was an uh, uh, internist and no doubt well trained. But he said, uh, Preacher, I believe he called me Reverend. He said, Reverend, you got something wrong with your throat. <laughs> and I, I, I saw him on Monday, and I preached kind of loudly on Sunday. And, and he said, you got something wrong with your throat. I said, oh, Doc, nothing wrong with my throat. I said, I've been using my throat for 40 years preaching the gospel. And then it dawned on me, I'll guarantee he's an Episcopalian. <laughs> and he's probably never heard a Baptist preacher preach in his lifetime. And I said, nothing wrong with my throat, just worn out for the Lord. And I'm aware of the fact that one of these days, something will malfunction, I'll... I'll die, and you'll die too. And they'll put my body in the grave, and that's, that's corruption. That's bad. But you know, one day King Jesus shall step forward and shout, and all God's little children are going to get up out of that grave as sure as you're born. Son in weakness raised in power. Son in dishonor but raised in glory. Son, a body terrestrial, raised a body celestial. Son, corruptible, but raised incorruptible. Son, mortal, but raised immortal. And I'm going to step out of the grave one day with a body like Jesus Christ. And it's predestined that I be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I walk out of the grave that day, and I won't ever have another husky voice. I'll have a full head of hair. I told somebody the other day, I'm, I'm receding up here. I'm losing ground down here. My teeth are dropping out. My eyes are dimming. And I, my hearing is dull. I'm losing ground everywhere except around here. <laughs> That's rather strange, isn't it? But one of these days, I'm going to get a body... With no teeth missing and no eyes dim and no ears dull. And I'll leap like a heart and shout like a saint with a glorified body. And we'll turn and look at the hole in the ground and say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And before I can say that, I'll look to heaven and say, Thanks be unto God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again for our glorification. And then last but not least, I want you to see Jesus reigning. On the earth for our association with him. You know, I preach to Jesus whom I've never seen. 
I'd love to see it. I preach a gospel I never heard fall from any man's lips. I got it from the Bible. I've never seen Paul or Peter who wrote a great part of it. I've never seen Jesus. I believe, having not seen, I'd love to see him, brethren, and I'm going to see him one day. I'm going to be associated with him one day. I'm associated with him now through his church and through his saints and through his word and through the blessed spirit that abides within the tabernacle. But I'd love to see Jesus. I'd love to see Jesus. I'd love to hear him speak. I think when he speaks, I'll be as hushed as death. And I dare not whisper lest I miss one of his words. I think when I see him, I'll gaze intently upon him like the disciples upon the Mount of Olives when he went up. I shall be captured by his dynamic person. I'm going to see him one day. And when I see him, I'll see him upon that throne of David with a scepter upon his brow and a crown upon his brow and a scepter in his hand. King of kings and Lord of lords. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if he doesn't hand me a seal envelope and on the inside to the mayor of Greenville, South Carolina, this is an order from King Jesus that the pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church is in charge for a thousand years. I'll come back to Greenville and present that to the mayor. We'll change some things around there. Amen. I'm going to reign with him a thousand years. And maybe in that millennium we can have him come to, to a faith Bible camp for a conference. I don't know what in the world Samuel will do. I don't know what I'll do. Preacher, you're crazy. You're beside yourself. No, I'm a believer. He's going to reign. He's going to reign in Zion for a thousand years. And that's plenty of time for him to visit over in Resaca, Georgia. Plenty of time. Plenty of time for him to come up to Greenville and spend a little time with us at Tabernacle. King Jesus. King Jesus. My Lord. My Savior with the nail prints in his hands. How in the world, brethren, can I stand up? I suspect I'll have to get on my knees and crawl in sackcloth, in humility, in gratitude. Jesus, reigning for my association with him for a thousand years. You know, I'm convinced that thousand years is essential for my full maturity. Man's days are three score and ten. I wouldn't dare say that my maturity spiritually would equal the maturity of Adam who lived 930 years. So God's going to have to let me live a thousand years so my maturity for the holy city will be complete. And when we go into the holy city, the new Jerusalem, all the dead saints, my little girl, died at 11. But she's got a thousand years waiting on her. And when her daddy goes to heaven, she'll walk by my side with the same maturity. Being associated with Jesus for a thousand years, for our association with him. The, the future is bright, my soul. The old devil may threaten you and harass you and intimidate you, but tell the devil he's alive. And that our Savior is great. And greater are they that be with us than they that be with them. But we see Jesus.
Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.